Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving. We learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This is season four, where we're tackling all questions related to simple churches that can start among lost people for zero dollars. I just want to read one verse before we jump into this interview with Sarah and Roger. It's 1 Thessalonians 2.8 in the New Living Translation. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. I'm excited, Sarah, to hear your story, and then we'll see how Roger jumps into that as we get there. So have got Roger and Sarah here. Sarah, do you just want to start by telling us about just your journey? I'd love to hear your two-minute testimony and then get us into even just where you are currently and how you're serving the Lord. Yeah. So um, my testimony very much centers around like my call. I think it's cool how the Lord like brings us to him, but also gives us purpose at the same time. And so um, I did grow up with like Christian Christian parents, um, but gave my life to the Lord when I was seven and very much like felt the Holy Spirit come on me when I was seven. Like it was Mm. like all in all the way. Um, And from a young age, I was like, man, I need to tell everybody about Jesus. Like I, I want everyone to feel and to know Jesus the way that I do. And the Lord told me at 12 years old, like, okay, that's, that's who a missionary is. And we're all missionaries. And so it kind of began this journey of like falling in love with the Lord and also just wanting to tell everybody But I always had this question, like I kept reading in the Bible, like go and make disciples. And I was in, you know, conferences and stuff where at the end they would say like, go make disciples. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, wait, it kind of hit me when I was 18. I have no idea how to make a disciple. Like I don't actually know how to do that. I know how to tell people about Jesus, but not how to make a disciple that can make a disciple. And so that kind of sent me on like this journey of, of wanting to know more about that. And I don't think that was really answered until about four years ago when I moved uh, to North Carolina. I moved from Texas after graduating college to North Carolina. Um, Technically, you go to seminary, but I was like, Lord, I want you to call me to a place where you're at work. Um, And I'd never been to North Carolina before, but I felt him like saying like the triangle is where I'm at work. Um, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. And so I moved out here and that's where I kind of got connected to people doing no place left. And I was like, okay, like I'd always been really nervous about tools, but I was like, well, this seems like a way that disciples can make disciples. Um, it does, it does seem relational. It does seem loving. Um, and it is. And so that's how I kind of caught that vision. And yeah, now I'm like, this is, this is it. Like, this is the way we're going to see no place left. So. I know that the story we're going to get to is some a church that you've seen form out of well, Oikos. That just immediately brings the question to mind, that journey of forming an Oikos, when I kind of assumed you already were there and had some pre-existing. So maybe I'll just start there. Um, as we want to see lost people come to know the Lord, and we want to see them made into disciples who make disciples, like how do those connections happen for you to be able to reach like an Oikos that basically wasn't there four or five years ago? I actually like just started sharing with people and getting to know them. So really it was very much like a person of peace search, but like these people became my Oikos through like two years of consistently like going out to a certain neighborhood, like praying every single time. Then I moved out, like I moved from Wake Forest, which is like 45 minutes away from Durham. And so I ended up moving out to Durham and going out like almost every single day and praying and getting to know people. So that's how they became, like they, they truly did become like, so they're my 
like most consistent people in my life since moving here. Like they've been there the whole time. Like they know my story better than anybody else, but it was, it definitely started off as like just house and peace search type thing. I guess, I don't know if this is a question or an observation. We, what sometimes gets shared is that what you just described, it needs to happen over the course of like 10 years and you really should wait to bring up anything spiritual. Like it, it, did you learn anything there or how did that kind of play out for you as you, as you entered leading with the gospel? I think with like leading out with the gospel, first of all, like we prayer walked in a large area at first and just we're trying to see like, where is the Holy Spirit already at work? And so once we found this one apartment complex um, where people were really open to prayer, um, it immediately sparked like deeper conversations. Whereas like, I think if we would have started with something superficial, it does take 10 years because you're like, you know, it takes a really, really long time to get to know people and a really long time for them to be open with you. But because it was like, hey, what can I pray for? They're like, oh, man, you care about like my heart. And so these women started opening up about like super deep stuff that honestly, we probably wouldn't have gotten into if we had just been talking about like, you know, I don't know what we talk about. We didn't really have anything in common other than the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, other than like a desire for God anyways. And so we got into conversations like really quick and we got to the heart of things really quickly. You know, like that when Paul says like, we didn't just share the gospel, but like we shared our whole lives. It very much became like, yes, we led with the gospel, with the gospel and with prayer. But then it was like our whole lives, you know, like it's like, oh man, like, you know, like we're going to all the kids' birthday parties. Like we're helping you plan the birthday parties, like your family, you know, like these women, like we call each other family now. That's great. I love pulling that verse from First Thessalonians because I think sometimes we forget the gospel part and we just say, oh, we've shared all of our lives and the gospel come out. So that's pulling those together is great. Uh, well, tell me about the, the story of the journey to get from what you just described, meeting people to um, where you're at now and even give us a picture of what it looks like now as far as churches. But I'd love for you to take us on that journey. Again, like I had moved from Texas, so I didn't know anybody, but I wanted to know people. And so I joined in with a small group from a church that was like, oh, we're going to meet as a small group, but we're also going to go out once a week and we're going to go out in the afternoons and we're going to go share using 15 second and 15 second testimony and three circles. You know, we started praying and and sharing in this large area. And then one apartment complex called Rochelle Manor apartment complex, more women were open. And I say women because it is government housing. And so it's specifically for women, like single moms with kids. Um, and there are a lot of men around, uh, but like no men on the lease, like the men are like, you know, you mm-hmm. can imagine, like, they're just kind of like, they're in different apartments, sometimes multiple apartments, like, they're the ones bringing a lot of the gang violence and things like that. And so this apartment complex too, like, just to give a picture of it, is mainly African American. And it's people that have lived in Durham their whole lives. <laughs> just a little funny thing, like Pizza Hut doesn't deliver there, right? Like this is kind of like the picture, like people in Durham know, like if you're like, oh, Rochelle Manor, they're like, oh man. Like one time I was there and like a SWAT team was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, uh, we're having Bible study. And then they were like, oh, profanity. What, why do you have a Bible study? Um, and so like this kind of an extreme like setting, but these women are not dangerous, right? Like they aren't dangerous. Um, they are open to the gospel. And so kind of what started happening was um, share the gospel. A lot of them like believed in God, you know, like this, like culturally very much like our spiritual believe in God for sure. Like if you don't say like God exists, they're like, are you crazy? Like, of course God exists. So it was kind of like a barrier, which I think we experience a lot in America of like, okay, they definitely believe in God, but how do we make the distinction between like, okay, you're a believer, but you're not a disciple and you haven't made Jesus 
king. And so we kind of learned to start using language like, hey, even the demons say that like they acknowledge God, like even the demons do, but they don't follow him. They don't submit to him. Where are you at? You know, like asking questions like, are you right with God? That would always get them like, oh, no, I'm not right with God. Like, I believe God exists, you know, but I'm not right with God. Um, Or like, is he your leader? Is he your king? So we kind of learned that. And from that started doing like seven stories of hope, like discovery Bible studies at first, like had a lot of like individual relationships going on. Like I was meeting with women individually um, and doing discovery Bible studies. But as I was starting to learn about the four fields, I was like, okay, but if we keep doing this, this doesn't lead to church. Like this leads to a lot of isolated relationships. And so can we get these discovery Bible studies? Like, can we do one that could like help them build relationships and like help them become church together? And the women didn't trust each other. Like they just didn't want to get together. Like they had slept with the same men. Like they, they learned through their life experience that it's best to keep to themselves. And so there was one woman um, that I was, I was meeting with pretty consistently and she hadn't trusted Jesus as King, but like, she definitely was like the most promising one. Her name's Partisha. Um, she'll be an part, important part of the story. But Partisha was really wanting to follow Jesus, but she wasn't bringing anybody else in. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, she's not a gatherer, but she's an important person because Jesus loves her and wants her to come to know him. And so as I was praying through it, I told her like, hey, the purpose of this time is that other people would come to know Jesus, not just you. And since you don't feel comfortable bringing people in, can we meet in a public space? And so we started meeting outside of the office. Um, And I started inviting all the women into that gathering and kind of use that as the filter of like, hey, if you come, like, just walk outside your door at this time, like, we'll have a discovery Bible study. But anyway, so this kind of went on for like two years um, of sharing the gospel, like they have a super transient lifestyle. So it'd be like sharing with somebody and then having a super strong, close relationship with them. And then they'd be like, oh, they went to prison. So you didn't get to say bye to them. Or like, oh, they had to move and get out of town like immediately. And so kind of working through like discouragement and like trying to persevere and not just rely on like what was happening in the moment to know like the purpose God had called us to. I was like driving back from work one day and I was going to meet two of the women outside the apartment complex for a discovery Bible study. And I was like, Lord, like if you are not at work here, like that's okay. You know, like, I mean, I I don't want to force something. Like if you're, if you're not going to start a church here, like tell me so I can move to another part of Durham, like show me. And the Lord said, like, it's, it's going to rain. There's going to be a woman that just moved in and she's going to open up her home. Like she's going to join you guys and open up her home. And that's going to be the place. And I was like, okay, I'm either super desperate or it's Jesus or maybe both. And so got there and this woman like walked up. She's like, Hey, I just moved in. And I was like, Oh wow. Did you want to join us? And she's like, yes. Uh, And and so she came and sat with us and I'm just like, this is crazy. And then it starts raining. And I was like, Oh, does anyone want to open up their home? Nobody answered. And I was like, does anyone want to open up their home? And this woman was like, yeah, sure. And hearing her tell the story now, she's like, Sarah was in my house before I could say no. Yeah. So then from that, that's really when things started taking off. She was a neutral person, right? Like she didn't have beef with anybody in the community because she just moved in. She'd actually moved to Durham to get away from a heroin addiction. And so she was just like, man, church to me seems like a Holy Spirit filled support group. And that's when we we started doing discovery Bible studies um, pretty immediately. Like the women started kind of leading the discovery Bible study too. Like it wasn't just me leading it every time. And once we finished that, we just moved into commands of Christ 
even though they hadn't given their life to Christ yet, I was like, okay, you guys want to learn what it looks like to be a disciple, not just a believer. So we went ahead and moved into that. And then at the end, like when we did the gather command, talked about gathering together to the church in Acts 2, um, I asked them, I was like, so what are we doing here then? And they're like, okay, we're church. And so from then, like, it was, it was really cool. Like, there's a lot of awesome stories of just like, you know, sometimes we talk about low-income communities, like needing a lot of things, but like, I saw these women give to their neighbors, like cover their neighbors' light bills together and trust in the Lord and bless their community and care for one another. And, and that's when Partisha was actually the first one to be baptized. The woman that originally had had like, had to have that little confrontation with. So she was the first one to be baptized. And then another woman, uh, she was baptized and immediately the same day baptized her best friend. Some of our our struggles have been like gathering, um, I think, because of their transient lifestyle. And, you know, sometimes there's been a lot of ups and downs. Like this woman fell back into heroin addiction for a little bit, had to deal with that. So it's it's definitely super messy. And like, we're you know, a lot of, but there's also been a lot of like, discipleship that's happened and a lot of growth that's happened and, and community and family that's happened. Yeah. That's super encouraging. How did the second generation or what is that starting to look like as you're seeing the growth, not just of course in their lives, but as it's growing to, to pass on to new disciples? That's I'm so excited about this part. Yeah. So that's when like Roger, who's my fiance. Wow, He's wow. been hiding in the background <laughs> of this interview. I'm, I'm here though. <laughs> He's been here. He's been here. So when this this church had started, like I was kind of by myself um, and didn't have like a lot of like coaching or like, you know, I had community, but I really needed coaching. And that's when um, Roger was kind of working with another guy uh, in Durham and I joined into their coaching circle. And so he started coaching me and he, he comes along and assists with this church. And so that's been really good, like those coaching lines. And even like working within like a, a church network, like a citywide network. So yeah, the second gen church, Partisha, this woman who was the first woman to be baptized into this church, moved to another area of Durham. And immediately when she started move, like was preparing to move, she was like, hey, we could prayer walk in, in my apartment complex. And I love her. She's like, my little best, like she, she's the best too. So it was really fun. I was like, yes, like um, we call each other family. So um, it's really fun to, to get to do this with her. And so she just started talking about prayer walking in her neighborhood. And I just asked her, I was like, you know, if we're going to prayer walk, like, do you have a vision for church? Like, would you want to open up your home for church and do the same thing that we're doing here, there? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So we just, and she also like, part of the problem too, is like, she can't drive. She didn't have a car or I guess she has a car now but she doesn't have a license uh she can't drive um I tried to teach her it was not a great thing (laughs) um yeah got told like two cars uh anyway so um so she started a church in in her home um and we just do three thirds and like we do assist her and she really is growing like she passes out those like the parts um and like once that church started in her home too like she's baptized um her 12 year old daughter at that apartment complex just a cool story if you want to hear a cool yeah, story. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Her 12-year-old daughter, Jada, super awesome. Uh, Partisha does a great job. She has five kids. She disciples them. So Jada and I were going out sharing the gospel in their apartment complex. And we were kind of like outside of somebody's door. And this dude just walks out. And he's like super like tall man. I don't know. Like just very intimidating and like has tattoos from like like he has a single teardrop all the way down to like uh, tattoos mm. on his legs. And, but he was holding a baby. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, he's fine. He was like, 
like, I was just like, Oh, okay. Walked out. So I was like, Oh, can we pray for you? Um, and he was like super open to prayer. And and then Jada shared three circles with him. And this was pretty soon after she'd been baptized. And he was like, I'm in brokenness. Like I just got out of jail, like for murder. And Jada looks at me like, Oh my gosh. And I was like, I don't know. We got to finish this out though. Like I've never done this either. And, but yeah, he said he was in brokenness and like really had a desire to know the Lord. And so brought Roger back, didn't keep going back by ourselves. And Roger started, we all started like as a church, like following up with him and Roger actually baptized him like two weeks ago. So that's been really cool. He's, and he's sharing with like his friend in prison and he's sharing with his family. He's awesome. So, so that's been cool. And on the identifying as a church, what do you guys call yourself? And especially the second generation. And and then the second part of that question is what does that network look like? Roger could do a really good job of explaining network. I can describe our, our, our name is, um, we say Rochelle Simple Church and Emerald Place Simple Church, just because our network is called Simple Church and having a common name, uh, we found like just really helps us feel unified. Yeah. So I was in Houston doing ministry work, trying to multiply for a while and then hop back to where I'm from, North Carolina, went to school in the, in Raleigh. So doing just in a pop out in Durham. And one thing I realized in Houston is like, we try to form a network after getting to multiplication, but in America multiplication is so slow that, you know, you get a church going for like a year before another one starts. And then it's like, it's hard to network that together. So when I came back, I was like, we need to, our first church, we need to have the thought of starting a network of churches. And so the guy, uh, there's a family who started the, actually started a church two months after the Rochelle church got started, but it was kind of separate. I just met this other guy. I won't mention his name because he's working in uh, Central, him and his family are working in Central Asia now. But basically I told him, I was like, yeah, I mean, you can start a church in your home. And he basically gathered a bunch of friends and uh, they're all believers. Um, And I was like, yeah, we don't need to just be a church. We need to be a church network. And here's why. And explain all the reasons of what we had seen in Houston. And I think there's a lot of biblical reasons um, too. And even for like having a common name, like in the Bible and Acts, I think there's five instances where they refer to themselves as the way, even actually outsiders say the people of the way in one of those verses, you know, Paul says in Acts 24, 14, that um, he says, I worship God according to the way, which I mm-hmm. think is a pretty significant statement. And so it kind of showed me like, hey, and, and learning from some people in Houston, the Out the Box Church Network, uh, they just con- had a common name amongst all their churches that they identified with. And it really helped to build unity. And so I kind of came in, I wasn't at the naming <laughs> meeting, uh, but the people of the church were like, we're going to call ourselves Simple Church. And that was the first one. Then when they had the Rochelle Church going, it wasn't called anything. But I was like, just start saying Rochelle Simple Church and see if people pick up on it. But we learned that whatever you name the group message, the group me or the WhatsApp message, that yeah. ends up being the name of the church. <laughs> so we would just tell people like, ah, we're Simple Church. Yeah. And people would be like, cool. And then it'd be like in the WhatsApp, like Simple Church. And people would be like, oh, yeah, we're Simple Church. Yeah. Um, the way I kind of think about it or way we have try to think about it, like looking in the word when we ask, like, how do churches interact and help one another out and, and network together? It's like, well, you can see giving, you know, Agabus, Agabus has a prophecy about a famine happening in Judea. So Antioch sends money to Judea. Like Paul says, hey, I'm going to collect the gift from you, Corinthians, to send back to the church in Judea. You see like leadership being shared. Like when Antioch starts, they hear about it. They send Barnabas from Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Paul, he, he obviously has, you know, influence over a wide region. And so like, and he brings around leaders, sends leaders back and forth, you know, even teaching like Paul sending letters back and forth. The Jerusalem council sends doctrinal correction to a lot. Of, so we just see a lot of ways that the churches interact. 
And I think we started to realize, like, if you think about the church circle, which if anybody listening doesn't know what the church circle is, go check out season one of the On the Road podcast or any of these tools. That's where he got dug into. So Peter will say that again, probably at the end of this podcast, but just wanted to. Thanks, Raj. Jump on it. <laughs> but anyways, if you think about the church circle, which is just uh, from Acts to what does a healthy church look like? It can be really helpful to diagnose the health of a church. But we started thinking like, how can you do this across multiple churches? Because those things like giving, teaching, loving, we see that in the word and we see even probably more. Well, I was, actually, I was doing this with someone the other day and they were like, well, we kind of see it, all of them in the word. Mm-hmm. And so we just started asking like practically, what can we do? Okay, we can identify needs and other churches communicate them to other churches and we can all give to that mm-hmm. loving one another. Like, why don't we just do stuff where we're like just going and meeting one another and hanging out with not just like our church, but like other churches. How can we, we have a baptism, just call up everybody, bring them, you know? So Kuwaitians baptism, that, that that's the guy that baptized two weeks ago. He, I think it was rep- people from two different churches were there, you know? Yeah. Oh. And other people, actually a guy just heard about it from another church and he texted me like, bro, I want to send an encouraging word to, to him. Can you just connect us? So, you know, that's loving, you know, I mean, just in baptism and, and, and just, just different ways, you know, you can worship together, you can do different stuff and it just really strengthens one another. So it's like, you know, your church is like Partisha right now. It's me, Sarah, Partisha, her five kids and one or two others have, have come in and out or for different reasons. COVID right now is kind of making mm-hmm. things tricky. Um, and Kuwaiti and, and, and his girlfriend are hopefully going to join this Sunday, but, but that's a small church. Like it's less than 10 people, you know? And so, but when we can strengthen one another across a network of churches, like a random person at at a simple church, Rochelle Manor, what's even their knowledge of the other network? I mean, are they, it sounds like a lot of the connection is maybe over leaders as, as you're describing it. Is there any picture you can, or story about kind of what that connection looks like, or even just the knowledge of the bigger network for somebody that, that might not be a leader? That's something that I wrestled with for a long time because they actually started before like the network I guess, started, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it was even like backtracking and being like, hey, we've said we're church, but like, look, um, you're part of something bigger. And so um, one way that like during vision time, during church, um, like for a few weeks in a row, um, I would draw out the the church circle and then draw out like basically a, a generational map of the other simple churches. And we're just like, hey, like, Let's talk about like, because already relationally, we we made a point to be connected. So like Roger would come to um, Rochelle Manor Simple Church. Like other people would would contact people from that church. Like Ro- the women from Rochelle like would come out and share um, in the other Simple Church's neighborhood. Um, like all of that stuff had already happened relationally. Mm. And so then it wasn't like, you know, organizing something and forcing something. It was like, Hey, let's look already what we've been doing. Like, let's draw out our church circle. Let's draw out this other simple church circle. And let's talk about like, Oh, Hey, sharing. Okay. When did we do that with them? Okay. Yeah, we did. Okay. Well, how have they loved you? How have you loved them? Seems like we're, we're sharing, seems like we're a network. And then at one point, like after, like after that, like we also appointed elders And so even talked about like, hey, you know how like Roger's one of our elders, like, you know how Roger has come and like, you know, checked in on you guys and things like that. Like he's he's shepherding, he's caring, like he's this elder network. So it was more like putting a name to 
like what was already happening relationally, which I thought was important. And, and I was nervous on how the women would respond because, you know, um, mm. but they were very much like immediately they were super excited. And the actual words that they said were like, wow, we're a part of a, of a movement of God. Like mm. this, this is even bigger than us. Um, and I think it helped them catch a vision quick, like quicker for multiplication, like with Partisha, because it was like, oh, well, then I could just go do this in my home. Right. Mm. Like, oh, well, this this is just going to multiply. I think it helps with multiplication, too. Just tell us the hardest part for you on this whole journey. Like, where was it kind of the most difficult? It's kind of difficult right now. I think I think the hardest part is I'm like, I'm a very like relational person. And I very much I, I care about these women so much, you know, um, and that's difficult in some ways because their lives are really, really, really hard. Like they go through things that I have never experienced and I will never experience. And so I think I think maybe understanding <laughs> what's happening and understanding where they're coming from and understanding that I can't fix their life situation is difficult. Like I mentioned before, just like the the way their life is so transient and so changing. Like I described the woman that we meet in her home, like she fell back into a heroin addiction for like three months. Mm. And I was like, man, is she, she going to fall away from the Lord, you know, and just realizing like I, you know, like she calling her up, like she'd call me up and be like, Hey, there's a drug dealer behind me right now. Like I need you to Venmo me money. If not, like I'm going to get killed, you know? And just like being like, Oh my gosh, like this is not the life. Like I don't even understand. And so lives are messy, you know, like discipleship isn't super clear cut. Um, and it's just like the heaviness of it. But then also I think the biggest barrier recently has just been like, or the, the hardest thing for me is for that to see them consistently gather. Like, I think, I think I'm growing and learning how to communicate the need for that, but that's just not something that like committed relationships over a long period of time, isn't something that they have ever seen modeled. And so I think just being like direct with them in that and um, being patient too, realizing like, man, they've never seen that. Like, yeah, I see that in the word, but I've also seen that in real, like right in front of me my whole life. So being really patient and learning new ways to communicate truths from the word and knowing like, like when they're just being disobedient <laughs> and, or when they're just like, they just don't get it. They just don't mm-hmm. understand. Like, I think you see the disciples with that a, a lot where Jesus is just like, you still mm-hmm. don't, you still don't understand, but he keeps explaining it. He's like, all right, I'm going to speak plainly to you guys. You know, he's not like, all right, well, if you don't get it, then you're filtered out. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he does filter, but he also is patient. So I think learning the balance between that for me mm-hmm. with him. Good. Roger, tell me about your role, not only um, just coaching Sarah and coaching others, but as you came from Houston, I know a little bit of the backstory, spending a lot of time just kind of doing the House of Peace search. How, what's your role been now that you're back in, in the Triangle in North Carolina? So I think I realized through over time, like I have been saying that I'm bad at these things, but Sarah's encouraged me to not say I'm bad at them. But may I could say I'm very mediocre at a lot of ministry stuff. Like I'm very mediocre at connecting with people. Like oftentimes people think I'm weird and awkward, which is like fine by me because I think it's hilarious most of the time when people think I'm weird or like sharing the gospel. I don't really lead that many people to Christ, like no matter what I do. Discipleship, I'm not really super shepherding. And so I can just be like, bro, I mean... I don't know, just stop doing what you're doing. I don't want to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm just not good at a lot of this stuff. Okay, I'm mediocre at a lot of it. I do okay. I do okay. And, I'm, and God's growing me. But what I did realize I'm a lot better at is finding people who are good at it and encouraging them a lot to go do it. 
And so with Sarah, she was already doing it. And I feel like she came to us to ask, like, can I be coached? But I think actually it was like in an iron on iron. Somebody said, why don't you come to our coaching meeting? The other guy who's in Central Asia now. Um, and finding that guy, I mean, I basically was like, hey, why don't you start a church in your home? He was like, he was like, he was basically like, well, I have the people. I just don't know how to do it. And I was like, well, I know how to do it. I just don't have the people. And we're like, well, I guess God wants us to work together then. You know, and basically it's been like that over and over. And so with, with Sarah, I think, I mean, honestly, I feel like a lot of stuff I'm doing is just like she runs stuff by me. And I'm like, that's a great idea. You should go do that. Because if you're by yourself, like you, you get stressed out because you don't know what the right thing to do is. And just encouraging her and like trying to to coach and like assist and like be there to assist. Because I think for a long time, she was very much by herself with all these people. And it's hard to go by yourself. And there's there's other people in the church who have stepped up. Like there's a woman who helped out with like childcare. Like a lot of these women are single moms. That was like super huge blessing. Like another woman came in to just help lead the meetings at times, which mm-hmm. is a blessing, which, which of course COVID's made that a little bit difficult right now. But like just the ways that other... Uh, people have supported i think has been key so like even right now the the gathering issue i mean you could say the rochelle church has gone back to the you know sarah said it was a bunch of one-on-one meetings that she got them to gather and then they gathered for a year and a half but now it's kind of back to a bunch of one-on-one meetings again Mm -hmm. so they're like still in discipleship but yeah so it's just a matter of like okay let's help problem solve and think through this encourage and, you know, I mean, it's it's just right now, I mean, that stuff is hard. Like when you're a single mom of four kids and you don't have the benefit of having a white collar job where you can work from home and your kids can't go to school, like school has actually been a really important so you can work during the day. And now mm-hmm. they have to be home and you still have to go into work. Like that's really hard. Mm-hmm. And like, so like even getting them to gather right now, like could just be an outgrowth of like, honestly, our network was really, has been really fruitful through COVID except for it's been a lot harder on them than everyone else. Mm. Not, I shouldn't say that there's a lot of people it's been hard on, but there's been a lot of fruitful stuff, but for them, mm-hmm. it's just been really hard mm-hmm. because of these things. And so maybe like the gathering piece is like, maybe it's just like life is so stressful right now, which I think even some of them have communicated. One other question would just be uh, for either one of you or both of you, what, tell me for you personally, what role prayer and abiding in the Lord has, has had in any of this? I think one thing I've, I've really learned is to ask the Lord what to do, (laughs) you know, to like, even thinking about how that the Rochelle church started. It's like, I, I think the Lord started that lesson. Like from the beginning is like, we don't start churches like the Holy spirit does, you know, we, we are faithful to obey, but he really does produce the fruit. And so I've been learning more and more like, okay, if there's something that I perceive that I need, like just truly asking the Lord, like, okay, Lord, this is something I think I need to accomplish no place left. You know, I think we need an inside leader to raise up. Uh, We don't have one yet in this hood network, but Lord, I I perceive that that's a need. Okay. Instead of just like freaking out and trying to strategically think about how to make it happen, like just asking the Lord, like, Lord, would you please provide that? You know, because sometimes it's just like, keep doing what you're doing, but just ask the Lord for what you need. You know, it's not, it, I think I've been learning, like, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. You need to change something. It just means you need to talk to the Lord more about it. And so I've been learning, like, talk to the Lord more about it. Like, ask him to provide what you need. Um, and if there's something different, he'll tell you in that time. Like, he'll be like, hey, well, why don't you do this instead? I think, too, the word has just come to life way more in the last few years. Like I'm reading, like, you know, like I think the first time I realized this is when I was reading uh first Corinthians, I was like, shoot, Paul, that's really good. I totally need to confront them about their sexual sin in that same way, you know, like, or just like stuff that I think I read before. And I was like, 
that's crazy stuff. Like we used to be crazy back in the day. I'm like, Oh no, like I'm going to say that exact sentence because I'm actually facing that exact situation. Um, so I think too, like the Lord, it's been a really big blessing because the word, like my time in the word has come to life so much more because I'm living it. And so, um, I think my abiding has just deepened because of obedience, you know, like, it's like, man, this is really cool. Like I love reading the word. I'm like, Oh, this is so helpful. I'm gonna do that today. You know? So yeah, just things coming more to life and communing more with the Lord because we're depending on him so much. I feel like personally, my abiding life in the past, like six months has been a lot lower quality. Like the quantity is there. So I don't know. Recently, it's kind of like, I don't know what role it plays. I've been doing terribly at it, but I, I would say overall, like everyone, uh, which isn't true. I mean, I do pray, but uh, the, the, I would say the network, which is kind of cool is increasing in a desire to pray. Like there's mm-hmm. several leaders who are like, we want to pray. We want to have prayer times. We want to have corporate prayer. Like we need to pray mm-hmm. about this, which is like really important and getting convicted more and more of that. And like even seeing disciples, you know, turning to prayer more, even one communicating recently, like, Oh, I used to just post on Facebook whenever mm-hmm. I would get really upset and I just take it to the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's good. I would say like, I mean, early on when I first moved back here, I was super desperate because I was like, I don't really know. None of my friends will really want to do this ministry stuff. And I don't really want to join a church. Like I want to start a church, but in Houston, we trained a lot of believers like before we got there. So I was like, I don't know how to, I don't have any churches to train. So how am I going to start a church? And and so there's a lot of desperate prayers like God, this is what's on my heart and I don't know what's going to happen. But obviously meeting, meeting the guy that I've mentioned before within two months of moving here, and pretty quickly being able to start a church with them. I think, you know, if you're praying that desperately, if it's something that that strong on your heart, probably it's more God telling you what he's going to do and pulling you into prayer. So I can pray. We can all praise them afterwards for answering it. And like, even before moving to here in Houston, I had a dream that was like a prophecy from the Lord about like affirming that I was going to be moving back here, which I don't get a ton of those, but this one was pretty clear. There was one aspect of it where uh, a friend and a brother uh, down there was like, Hey, I think that means you're going to, go to the highways, the byways, the hedges, and whatever that parable where mm-hmm. the people wouldn't come to the feast who were supposed to. So he goes out to get those people. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's absolutely come true. Mm-hmm. Uh, just even realizing recently, like, yeah, I mean, the people we're dealing with is like definitely not the people who would normally come in. And they straight up tell us we won't go to a church, you know, but they'll come mm-hmm. and talk about Jesus. So it's kind of cool how, how the Holy Spirit like tells you stuff even before he's going to do it. And mm-hmm. you can just go to him in prayer. Like, all right. I mean, you said this, I don't I don't know if that's going to happen, but I guess I'll pray about it. Then it like happens. So, Yeah, man. What a great picture of the father's heart that we're, we're reaching. We want to reach people that are not going to be reached. They're not going to come into a, an existing church. Uh, this isn't just a different like outreach strategy with an end goal that they, that they, they show up on Sunday, but it's like, we just need to bring the fullness of the kingdom there, which will include making disciples and, and seeing them gather into the church. I guess I would just end by asking what's next for the church what's next for either of you guys i'd love to hear if, if that brings any thoughts oh my gosh but we're totally gonna get married <laughs> that's so, next that's next it's partnership for the kingdom smooth sailing once you get to marriage there's no issues ever right again. right yeah right. right that's awesome well congratulations guys i mean i think dreams like ministry dreams you know is uh roger and then also another girl that Savannah, she, both of them kind of heard from the Lord that, um, we have five ish simple churches, uh, right now. And like by the end of the year, praying for 10 and so praying for 10 simple churches and in the network. Um, so we're praying towards that. And then two, I think just 
I would love to see like a hood, you know, within our simple church network, like a hood network, you know, mm. um, of not just leaders uh, that look like us, but but leaders that um, are insiders to the, you know, the Durham hood, like, um, and that's what we're praying for. And so, and then eventually like a hood network across uh, the triangle, you know, that's an even bigger picture. Um, but those are just, yeah, some things I I'm personally praying towards. We're praying towards. Yeah. I, I would say that like probably in the next six months, like I could see like foresee like three churches starting, but like all the churches that have started, I could not foresee them. They just kind of got rolling, you know, because I could also foresee one or two ceasing to exist. So, mm-hmm. um, which usually how this goes is uh, if you talk to anyone who like tries to do movement work, it's like you start something, it's really awesome. Then it like stops and then start something again and then it stops. It's like super up and down. That's at least how it was with me for mm-hmm. several years. Now it's been more like, slowly growing and recently it's been like slowly contracting but all the churches still exist so i'm constantly like these churches are totally gonna gonna stop but then they like pick back up again i don't even know so obviously i clearly can't predict the future very well so um it's like the wind you don't know where yeah yeah it's crazy how the holy spirit acts like the wind you know (laughs) that's a good illustration but i would say not just that like can we get to depth of discipleship because i think that's one thing Mm -hmm. that i did correct like we are not just about numbers. Like I can think very like outwardly constantly and forget that. Like Jesus said, like be one. And then the world will know the father sent the son by how you love one another. I think there's definitely several ways that we can grow in depth and discipleship. And what Sarah's talked about, I mean, just saying, Hey, let's gather again at the beginning. COVID helped like God use that to make things more fruitful. I think at this point, it's actually people have gotten more and more cautious over time, at least where we're at. Mm-hmm. And it's been more of a hindrance. I think, Hopefully in the next few months, if that ends, it will help more face-to-face meetings and more gatherings. We'll see what God does. That's awesome. Congrats again, guys. It was hilarious that Ross connected us because, again, Roger, you just claimed you didn't know anybody that was seeing churches form out of lost people. So, <laughs> yeah. I can, if you haven't noticed, I can be really negative about my own abilities and knowledge. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know anyone. We were, we were meeting with a girl yesterday to like talk to her about coaching. And this is the way that Roger pitched it. I suck. Like I suck so <laughs> bad. Like I'm terrible at everything. So, but like, and then I'm like, where's this going? Like, you're not bad at everything. Like, <laughs> and then he's like, but I'm great at leadership development. <laughs> well, we could probably talk about the, uh, whether you're good at it or not, you need to put in the reps, though, to know how to coach somebody. I would assume you would say that, Roger. I mean, yeah, like I still I'm sharing the gospel every week right after this. We're about to go out gospel sharing. I mean, so like the gospel sharing is happening, like discipleship, like definitely discipling the people that I'm talking about. I don't feel feel like very good, you know, when somebody he's very good at it. Well, I just feel like when it's like you share about your life and you're like started about to cry about it. I'm like, oh, I'll pray for you. Like, what else do I need? It's like and like I help lead churches and stuff. I just. Yeah, I mean, I do all this that stuff, like, and I would never stop because I feel at least the gospel sharing and discipling is a command from Jesus. The leading church thing, it's not a command, but it's a, mm-hmm. a call. Still, I'm like, I realize I just need to find the people who do it better than me and just encourage mm-hmm. them. So. That's awesome. I hopefully encourage them through mauling. We haven't even talked about mauling. That's actually something that I feel like we need to grow in is like, we're, yeah. I, I think we're good, especially with the discipleship, discovery Bible studies and church at modeling and leaving but the whole assisting and watching, yeah, we need to grow in. And so that's something that I think that like for leadership development, like that's probably going to be a heavy, heavy focus. Cause that's like leadership development is really modeling people. And so that's why I'm trying to focus on during my time is like, how much can I get with people in their life and start modeling them? And 
As Roger said, if there's a tool that was mentioned that you want to know more about, you can check out Season 1 of On the Road. You can find a link to that, as well as leave a comment or ask a question by heading to ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. Or you can call or text 321-209-3899 to get in touch. This is Feeney. Thanks so much for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.